0: Hey there, Radical Optimists! Welcome to the Future Positive Podcast, a podcast from XPRIZE that aims to bring you the most future-forward topics. Here we meet the world's brightest minds across a kaleidoscope of disciplines, cultures, and points of view. I'm your host, Sofia Tapia. If you're new to the show, in each episode you will hear from world leaders, creators, entrepreneurs, innovators, and change makers who are paving the way for innovation on and off this planet we call home. In recent years, many AI for Good projects have been deployed worldwide. The AI technologies used help solve critical issues such as poverty, hunger, and climate change. While well-intentioned, sometimes these projects can miss crucial elements in their design and deployment, resulting in a large amount of fanfare without scalable impact. In today's episode, we're joined by Sasha Lucioni, a postdoctoral researcher at Mila Labs to explore the AI for Good movement through a series of examples. We'll also delve into some guiding principles to ensure that AI is used to create the world's most significant positive impact. So what is AI for Good anyway? Let's find out.
1: Hi, everyone. So what is AI for Good anyway? There's been a lot of AI for good, but tech companies have AI for good programs, uh, smaller companies as well. Universities have all been looking into AI for good. And there's also, you know, smaller scale, larger scale initiatives. And the general goal of all these initiatives is essentially to deploy the best, most cutting edge AI and to solve critical problems. So these can be poverty, hunger, crime, health. And I've been kind of basking in this for the last couple of years. And a question came to mind about six months ago. I really started thinking about this. What makes AI good? So is it the domain of application? So is any for example health application of AI good? Is any application of AI in education or environment good intrinsically? Um, is it the problem being solved? Is it the fact that you know, we predict a natural disaster or detect cancer? Is that what makes AI good? Is it the positive impact? So is the AI for good project particularly good because it can impact uh, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people? Is this is this what really we're, we're going towards? Or is it the intention? Often uh, projects have the intention to do good. and Is that all it takes? Um, and the rest is kind of secondary. Or is it all of the above? So I've been thinking about this a lot. And since I'm a researcher, I've started doing some research. I've read a lot of papers. I've uh, watched a lot of talks. And then I prepared this talk for you because I think that you can really benefit from this kind of more holistic vision of AI for good uh, in your future projects and endeavors. And I will intertwine some thoughts from these great leaders, um, these great researchers in order to kind of guide all of us towards hopefully a common definition of AI for good, hopefully some principles that we can follow or at least some things that we can keep in mind when we strive to do AI for good because I know this is something that interests all of us. So to start with Lester Mackey, he says AI holds the potential to help us address some of our biggest challenges like poverty, food scarcity and climate change. And I completely agree with that. But let me start with some success stories, some projects that for me really hit a home run in terms of using AI for good. There's Lester Mackey's group actually at Stanford who uh, called Statistics for Social Good and they have this really great bottom-up strategy. So essentially they uh, divide and conquer. So they contact different stakeholders, national, international. They reach out to them. They ask, how can we help you? How can we use statistics or AI to help you? They distill the problem. They try to figure out what technology can be used. Um, They figure out the data that's there. Essentially they do all this kind of legwork. In order to define these projects and then they deploy them along with the with relevant stakeholders um, and they de- document all of their, their findings on the website. So for me, this is a really great approach. It's very bottom up, but it works really well. They've had some very, very impactful projects. Uh, you can check them out if you want. So that's, that's for good at Stanford.edu. Um, so this is one way of doing it. Um, another way of doing it as the Computational Sustainability Network with Carla Gomez, they do it in the opposite way. They go with the techniques that they master, for example, stochastic inference, uh, sequential decision-making, pattern decomposition. So they start with really the things that they do well as AI researchers who are interested in sustainability. A recent success story for me in AI for Good has been um, Hella van der group in the UK uh what's interesting in this case is that they took a tool that they developed for for other applications before uh for essentially for hospital uh decision making and they deployed it for covid 19. so what they did is they created a tool for nhs so that's the the uk health authority they they developed a tool that for administrators and doctors and hospitals to to predict essentially the severity of their patients so based on different criteria age sex comorbidities etc etc It's to help essentially uh, decision makers decide whether, you know, to allocate an ICU bed, whether they need a ventilator or not. So essentially, it's really like a tool for them to get hands on uh, decision making. What's really interesting is that, you know, this was deployed super fast because essentially they took something that they created for other diseases that were more slow moving, uh, cancer, etc. And then they really deployed it in a very quick turnaround time in the UK. And uh, they did it in partnership with the NHS, making sure that they developed it in a way that they could deploy it in hospitals without having this huge like learning curve. And it actually is used right now, and it and, you know has potential to save thousands or, or tens of thousands of lives. So once again, huge success story. But you know, as another one of the researchers I've been looking into says. While AI for good programs often warrant genuine excitement. So I'm genuinely excited about this work. They should invite increased scrutiny. Good intentions are not enough when it comes to deploying AI for those in the greatest need. So on the flip side of the coin. What are some, uh, you know, cautionary tales that we can look at to to see what can potentially go wrong, even when good intentions are at play um, and AI for good is the objective so AI for Good can have unintended consequences. Like the Compass Project in the US, I think the, the intention was really great, was to um, try to alleviate some of the pressure on the judicial system in the US and to try to predict essentially what some of the people who are sentenced currently, whether or not they have a probability of committing crimes in the future. Now, it was trained on all sorts of data, on historical data, and it, a ProPublica research project uh, that, that analyzed it realized that most of the features that were used for this kind of prediction was actually race. So African-American inmates were were seen as more likely to commit crimes in the future. So obviously not good. Uh, And this was a system that was actually deployed and used in in courtrooms all across the country. So, you know, this is a cautionary tale of uh, intentions are there, but obviously the way it was done was not the way that benefited the most people. Another um, example is is more recent, actually. This happened a few months ago in August because of COVID uh, in the UK. Once again, um, they had to cancel final exams for high school students. So for people who were going to university and since they had to cancel these exams, they thought, okay, we'll we'll train a machine learning algorithm to predict results instead of actually having kids pass tests. And they had once again several features um, and notably the, the historical notes of the student themselves and of their school. So these were the two main criteria used and essentially they attributed marks to students and obviously based on these marks they could go or not to university so you know massive decision um, and huge bias because good students in in less good schools with less um, academic excellence were heavily penalized versus mediocre students from very excellent schools who had this uh, unfair advantage and so it created a, a lot of noise in the uk finally you know they, they went back and question their decision but you know once again great intention they wanted to make sure that the stress of covid was not amplified by these by these exams finally there was a, a system meant for um, detecting poachers in Africa in wildlife reserves and um, it was deployed it was working more or less but they figured out that kind of the problems that have been identified in out-of-the-box facial recognition algorithms that they don't work very well when it's dark and often they don't work very well on darker skin tones were amplified um, in this poaching detection system so it had a lot of false positives um, and often it was very hard to uh, to justify a false positive like if someone was falsely accused it was hard for them to, to say no i'm not a poacher i was just there or you know because they didn't know what the teachers used for the algorithm were so they don't, they just know that this person was classified as a poacher so the local authorities have this kind of tag they have a label that this person is a poacher without any kind of explanation of the decision made and so the person accused couldn't really justify themselves and so finally it was put on hold for the moment and they're working on improving it but you know once again great intention the way that it was deployed maybe a little less successful And nowadays, um, we have all these AI algorithms that detect, uh, that that track biodiversity, that predict how, whether or not we're a good fit for a a position that we apply to. Um, Nowadays, for example, they can diagnose COVID uh, based on x-rays, right, in hospitals and and poaching as well. So we have all these kind of, these systems that are deployed in various areas that make decisions or, or that propose decisions, predict things, and we don't really know how this happens. And so, Often, also AI for good projects attract a lot of attention, a lot of positive buzz, kind of, and then less so for the for the actual impact. So there's less follow through. So we hear about these great projects, groundbreaking, uh, you know, climate change, poverty, etc. But then what happens? You know, what what's the actual impact? So it, there's kind of two use cases for me. Sometimes, in the best case. We see AI as this magical fairy dust for positive impact, which you know arguably can be good for the domain. But there's no concrete problem, so we see this AI as like a you know a savior of the humanity. Uh, but after that, there's no there's no follow through. So this is kind of for me the best case. And in the worst case, we have we're using AI to experiment on vulnerable populations and, and without giving them any benefits of the technology. So for example, if we do have you know false positives, if we do have these kinds of uh, algorithmic decision making. So, for example, if someone does get sent back to prison because some AI told the judge that they're more likely to recommit a crime, that's that's huge. That that can be someone's life. That can be someone's, you know, whole livelihood. They get sent back to prison. That's 20 years of their life gone. And so in this case, we have to really be careful when we deploy AI. So uh, this is kind of the, the horizon. But how can we make AI for good better? And this is what I'm really here to talk about. We can start with asking the right questions. So, Tim Gebru is, is a researcher in AI and ethics, and, and she says we need to figure out, are we asking the right research questions? What are the pitfalls? Because then AI has hopes of being more impactful. So, what are the right questions? Well, let's start with what the problem is. So, I think that many AI for good projects define a problem that's not necessarily the real problem that they're trying to solve. So, often, you know, we're tackling climate change we're solving poverty poverty we're reducing crime this is the real problem right this is what we're aiming towards but we solve a proxy problem so for example, detecting poverty from satellite imagery, identifying extreme weather events uh, based on you know radar um, facial recognition for poaching these are kind of proxy problems because it's not necessarily going to stop climate change to identify uh, like a hurricane it, it definitely is going to help something but it's not necessarily going to you know stop climate change. Um, detecting poverty based on a satellite image it's you know arguably good to know where there are poor areas but is it really helping solve poverty and once again with a crime what's the problem we're solving just predicting whether someone was, is more likely to commit a crime based on data of people who have been stopped and so that data can be biased as well so honestly that it's really a proxy problem that doesn't address actual, you know, reducing crime. And often we don't have any solid data, so we use surrogate data from, you know, either other places or based on um, some older historical trends. Like, for example, for for poverty detection, it can be, you know, some census data from 10 years ago. It can be just based on average income. It can be lots of things. Aggregate data often is high-level data, and this is what we use for deploying the projects. Are we sure that the solutions are really similar in both cases? Are we sure that the, the surrogate problem has the same solution as the real problem? I'm not sure. And often, AI is touted as the solution because it's it's great. AI you know, can do lots of stuff. We've got all these deep neural networks. It's amazing. But is it really the right solution from the problem at hand? Say you do figure out the problem that you want to solve. Is AI really the solution? So often, AI solutions are actually really complex and expensive to develop, very technologically demanding, hard to deploy. Often it's, you know, you deploy it, for example, on the cloud or in your own servers, and it's used by people on the ground, they don't have access to the actual algorithm, they don't really understand what's going on, they just have some kind of, okay, this is, this is good, this is bad. It, there's a very big gap between people who develop the, problem, the solutions and, and the people who actually need to use the technology and also you know constraints do they have the technology in order to actually visualize something is it do they even have computers that are powerful enough to, to, to run these machines in the context that you're aiming for and often people jump to ai before trying simpler solutions you know maybe some statistical more simple random forest approach can be can be used maybe it can even just be pure you know something like um Textual analysis, maybe just like keyword search instead of uh, convolutional neural networks. I mean, there's there's a huge gap b- before you can jump into training a deep neural network from scratch. Um, and as I say, um, as I said, good, AI for good initiatives. I believe that they're truly well intentioned, but they raise some important questions that often don't get covered um, in enough depth. So, for example, who defines the problem to be solved? Is it is it is it the AI researcher? Is it the company they work for? or is it the people who are going to be using this eventual tool? Is AI the right solution for this problem or is it just because, you know, we've got a convolutional neural network lying handy and we want to use it on something So this is why we're using AI? Where does the data come from? Um, What metrics are used for measuring progress? Is it, you know, is it accuracy? Is it uh, a F1 score which, for example, will track false positives and false negatives? Are you sure that you're tracking your progress in the way that makes sense with regards to the situation? who will use the solution proposed, who will maintain the technology, right? There's all these questions that have to be thought through before even starting a project, before even uh, training a neural network. These are all really important things to, to, to take into account. And also finally, who will make the ultimate decision? Is it the algorithm? Or is it a human? And if it's both of them, how is that decision made? How is the the decision explained, for example, in terms of transparency to a human who will use that information to make their decision? So, I mean, we have to think through all these questions before doing AI for good. Another aspect, all of the initiatives, I I said it at the beginning of my talk, they're really hand in hand with stakeholders on the ground. Uh, The NHS, it can be all the different uh, organizations that Stanford worked with. Computational Sustainability Network also often always work the, the partners uh, on the field, so including the right people. And here I can turn to a quote from Shakir Mohammed, who also works in, in uh, ethical AI, who says, the only AI in, that empowers and works for the benefit of humanity is truly global AI, and making a tr- AI truly global will not be easy. And so it's true that it's complicated to work with stakeholders who often don't really understand the technology, who don't have the background necessary for understanding the algorithm itself, right? So we really need to change the way we talk, we can't just use technical terms anymore, but it's really, really super important. So on one hand. NGOs, for example, if you're working with Red Cross or UNICEF, Médecins Sans Frontières, they have real-world expertise on global problems. They'll they'll tell you what the problem is. They'll literally say, you know, whatever, you know, toy data set you're using, it doesn't have nothing to do with what we're actually facing out there in the field. So they can really tell you uh, the problem you need to solve. They can also help deploy the AI solutions so that they have the biggest impact. And actually, like in a lot of countries, populations trust organizations like the Red Cross Sometimes more than local governments, because they've been there for a really long time. They've proven time and time again that, you know, they can get medicine, they can have outreach or educational programs. So people really trust these organizations and working with them gives an immense amount of credibility to any AI for good project. And they can also give you feedback about your AI because say you train a model that does some kind of prediction or classification and you get 99% accuracy on your data set. And then you give it to, for example, the Red Cross and they're like, wait, this doesn't work. This is not the categories that we have in real life. It's not just black and white. There's also like 20 shades of gray between the two. Maybe we should be looking at a, you know, a multi classification problem and not a binary classification problem. I mean, those are probably not the terms they're going to be using, (laughs) but this is the feedback that you're going to get and you can go back to the drawing board and retrain your algorithm also um an important part of this is actually empowering the people who will use the ai because um if there's a big gap between you know these kind of ai geniuses these ai wizards that develop this technology and the people who you know will just Kind of get it and, and have to use it there's a big gap there that's not necessarily it doesn't build trust doesn't build you know cohesion so it's really important to include and empower the st- stakeholders and the populations who will use this ai technology and this should be done from square one like when you instead of you know training a version of your algorithm then going to the red cross and then saying hey i can predict you know blah 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 i can predict whether someone's going to go get their vaccine or not and then maybe you should go back to the drawing board and ask them you know do you need to predict uh, whether people are going to go in for vaccines? or Is there another problem that's more important? Maybe it's the way of getting the vaccines to the villages that's really the real problem because people are willing, but they're not willing to go 50 kilometers in order to get it. You know, there's all these problems that maybe are something that we didn't really think of. And actually, the problem with that is that most of AI comes from Western hubs, right? What do we know about getting vaccines in a rural country across the world from us? We don't know that. We can pretend to know. We can, you know, we can even read some articles and say, hey, you know, BBC says this is an issue, and and maybe it is, maybe it truly is, but maybe there's a bigger issue in the region that you're looking at or with a specific NGO that you're looking at. And we have to make sure that we're not the ones that are imposing our view of AI on other populations. And so we have to be inclusive and engage voices, cultures, and ideas from places that we don't necessarily have uh, contact with in our daily lives. So it's it's really a big effort actually to go and to kind of find the right people, to, to build a relationship of trust to really keep the conversation going and and to explain what you're doing to non-specialists. This is something that I've been working on cultivating for for a while now because I realized that the way I talk about my science, about my research, doesn't percolate, doesn't really uh, hit in the way I want the people I'm talking to. And so I've started to, you know, simplify the way I talk about AI, I have started to use more I mean, less sciencey terms, more, you know, less math or less statistics and more kind of real world language that people can really get behind. And in order to include people and create an inclusive AI, we all need to be talking like this about our work, even though it's really hard. And finally, I mentioned this briefly, but AI for good projects are rarely a one shot deal. You're not going to solve poverty with a single, you know, AI algorithm. It's usually one piece of a puzzle. And most of the other pieces of the puzzle are not going to be AI, they're going to be other things, they're going to be things like outreach, like, you know, decision making, policy making, they're going to be um, convincing people that this is the solution to be used. So it's actually it's really important to think about the the big picture and about domain knowledge, because, yeah, sure, we're the AI scientists, but we need to ensure that our algorithms are functioning properly and own them in a way that they can be used. And so committing time and effort for maintaining deployed ai for good projects on our end is really important to ensure their perennity and maybe like you've trained your algorithm it's great it's it's, it solves the problem that you need it works well etc etc but then people are hesitant to use it because they don't understand how the decision is being made so it's up to you to you know to work on making it more transparent and more explainable so that people can really get a grasp of of what it is what kind of uh, algorithm is making a decision that will impact their lives and this Brings me to the last uh, principle, it's being transparent. So being transparent about your algorithm, about the way it works, about the solution you've developed, the features that it's using, all of that. And um, Joy Bulamini is, is an amazing researcher um, she works a lot about on the intersection between actually art, AI, uh, kind of governments and, and, and policy making and she says as companies, governments and law enforcement agencies use AI to make decisions about our opportunities and freedoms we must demand that we are respected as a people. And for me transparency is the foundation of respect for anyone, for, for it could be personal relationships, professional relationships, for me from square one you need to be transparent. And so what does that mean? It, that means that we should be clear about the risks and the benefits of the AI solutions. So we shouldn't be saying that, hey, you know, we made this magic potion that's gonna solve all our problems. No, it has risks. There's always risks. And for example, I was very, very happy to see that NeurIPS, which is one of the major AI conferences, starting this year, they made it mandatory for AI researchers to submit A statement about the societal impacts of the work and that's major because even if you're working on you know a classification approach or some theoretical AI algorithm it's important to think about down the line how this can impact society so we should think about both the benefits and the risks of of the approaches we develop both in the short and the long term because for sure if you're creating you know some new loss function it's easy to say but this is just like this is just a local thing, it's not going to really impact, but maybe that's in the short term. But then if you use that loss function in the real world, it can have real world impacts in the long term. And uh, when promotion of the project is done, when you say, hey, you know, when your company says, well, we did an AI for good project, we're you know, going to tackle climate change, we're going to solve poverty, well, they should be pretty clear, you should be pretty clear about the scope and the limitations of your project. It shouldn't be, you know, no one's going to solve that big a problem with a small algorithm. It, you know, you have to say, you know, we have a, a data sample from here, we have partners from there, this is the scope of our project, and, you know, be very clear about that. the fact that it's not going to cure cancer. And one of, for example, the, the aspects that Joy works in is checking for bias, and so She did this amazing project called Gender Shades about how biased facial recognition technology is. And that's kind of the tip of the iceberg because it's in everything. In any algorithm, there's going to be bias. And we just have to be transparent about it and understand what's going on. So this involves checking the data that the model was trained on. Is it balanced? Is it representative? Who labeled the data? Is it experts or is it crowdsourced for people who don't really understand what the problem is? I mean, again, using Mechanical Turk can be great if you want to label a bunch of data, but often you don't explain the task at hand. It's just kind of a you know, a simplified version of the task to simplify the labeling process, but is that really representative if it's a, it's a complex task? Does the model do equally well in all categories? Darker skin tones, men and women. So these are things that need to be, you know, tested before deployment to make sure that you're not inadvertently causing harm and kind of discrimination. Also, what are the features used? So often, you know, when we train a deep neural network, it's really hard to say this is the feature that makes the system predict the way it does, right? It's, it's often not one single thing, it, it's, it's a multitude of things. But we should be working to make our algorithms more explainable, so you can say it's 50% this, 30% that, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera, so at least you know that the features being used are relevant to the task at hand. Or is it using features that shouldn't be used in this particular context because the neural network does not know you know, that you you shouldn't use, for example, skin colour to predict a crime, you can't tell an AI that that is not a feature, it's up to us as people, as researchers, to add that constraint into the algorithm and to have the checks and balances to make sure we're not using those kinds of features. Also, what happens with false positives? What happens if someone does get accused of, you know, being likely to recommit a crime? are they assumed guilty until proven innocent because that's kind of what was happening with compass when the pro public article came out there was no second guessing there was no you know there was no check and balance there for, for false positives and that's major and also who makes the final decision so i'm a big fan of human in the loop ai because i feel that we're not there yet to deploy AI systems that's just, that are just going to go off and make decisions about human lives. I think it could be a data point, and, and sometimes it's an important data point, but it shouldn't be, you know, the only data point we're using to judge whether someone should spend a life in prison. I think it's important to kind of create a balance between decision making, algorithmic decision making, and human decision making. And so the takeaway message is when you're doing AI for good projects, good intentions for me are a given but it's often important to ask the right questions, include the right people, and to be transparent. A quote that uh, really stayed in the back of my mind, again from Mark Latanero is, he says that the deeper issue is that no massive societal problem can be reduced to the solution offered by the smartest corporate technologists, partnering with the most venerable international organizations. So even if you do you know, check all the boxes, uh, just keep in the back of your mind that it's really hard to solve climate change or you know tackle poverty with ai it takes so much more than that and and so this is why it's so important to have a more holistic vision and to think kind of outside the ai box thank you very much thanks for tuning into the
0: future positive podcast we'll be back next week with a new episode some of you have asked how to support the show if you like this episode please leave a rating on apple it really does help And speaking of AI, this week XPRIZE and Cognizant partnered to launch the Pandemic Response Challenge, a new $500,000 four-month competition. This challenge will focus on developing AI and data-driven systems to predict COVID-19 infection rates and prescribe intervention plans that regional governments, communities and organizations can implement to minimize harm when reopening their cities and restarting their economies. We're calling all data scientists, programmers and designers to get involved. If you or anyone you know wants to compete, you can learn more and register at XPRIZE.org slash pandemic response. This podcast comes from XPRIZE, a global future positive movement of over 1 million people and rising delivering radical breakthroughs for the benefit of humanity. Sign up to join us and support the movement that is making a change in the world 10 times faster. Whether it's lending a hand, a dollar, or an idea, we all have a role to play in making the future a better place. The only way to get the future we want is to create it ourselves. Learn more at XPRIZE.org. See you next week.